and just a little baby, and we showed up, we were welcomed with open arms, open arms, and they were glad to see us, and it was a good time. A few years later, Rita came through, and I remember the same deal. We, we were, thought we were prepared as prepared could be, and then the, the message came out over the radio and TV, and the sheriff cars going through the neighborhood saying, get out. Get out. It's not an option. Get out. You've got to go right now. We're closing the streets behind you. Get out. It's your last chance. There's no gas. Get out. Get out. Get out. And so we go. We're on I-49 once again. And as we're in gridlock, and I-49 only has two lanes, but they opened up the two side um, shoulders, and you had all four lanes. All you're doing is following a mass of red taillights. And as we're heading north, the Black Hawk helicopters are heading south to pluck people. And I'll never forget that scene. I never forget the scene at this time, still had the old Suburban. Looking back, and I see a, a new group in my family. It's grown. And I look out the window, and I see pickup trucks with old ladies in the back of it getting rained on, wrapped in blankets and blue tarps covering lawn furniture and boats with dogs in the back. And just, it's, it was a terrible scene. It was horrible. It was unsettling. There was nothing you could do but just continue go north escape the storm, evacuate. And I knew that in the middle of that horrible feeling that I had of sorrow for those people, my destination was secure. I had family that had gone ahead of me in Wind Parish and were waiting on me with open arms. And when we got there, we were welcomed, and there was plenty of room for us, and there was hot meal for us. We got there in the middle of the night. And as they hugged us, and they were so glad that we made it in, communication had been lost at this time. And as we made it in, and we were there, settled in, my heart began to break for those other people and I, who, I, they didn't know where they were going. If you guys remember any of these evacuation things or perhaps been a part of it, you just had to go. And you didn't know where you were going. You go to this hotel, and it was closed, and this hotel was full, and, you, and it was just scary. Where do you go? Where do you go? And my heart began to break in a different way for the first time in my life about people who were not prepared for their end destination. I almost felt a little guilty. Oh, I was thankful. I was thankful. But I felt so bad and so burdened for those other people. And thus it should be with us as we wait for the second coming of Christ. The only thing that's going to give us concern is not whether our house is being blown away or washed away or consumed by fire. The only thing that's going to give us concern is what about those other people? What about those other people? Uh, they had a, a, a gentleman, uh, they were interviewing him, and he was in a Red Cross shelter, and he was just kind of shaking the cobwebs out of the rescue that they had kicked out his window, and he was rescued. And they said, uh, you know, how does it feel? How do you feel? And they're trying to capture the moment. He said, I, I'm, I'm just thankful to be alive, and I just wonder about, and he began to mention all these other people. He cared about other people. And thus it should be with us as we prepare. Jesus tells us to be prepared. Let's read our scriptures. Father God, we ask that you would just settle in on us, dear Lord. I pray that you would let the scriptures come alive to us, Father, as we read your word, and it would be a fresh new way, a new manner for us to digest. Father, I pray that we would leave here with a new commitment for the lost. We would leave here with an understanding of the expectation that we have as Christians. Lord, I thank you for this moment and this time. Let your word strengthen us. Amen. Chapter 25. Prior to this, Jesus was telling them that you need to be prepared. 
you know, we don't really know when the end of the world is going to happen, but I can tell you when it is not. It is not going to happen December 21st, 2012. How do I know it's not going to happen? Because Jesus said, no man, not even the angels know when the end of the time is coming. So if an old ancient Mayan pagan thinks he's got it figured it out, guys, don't go following that nonsense. I want you to, on December 21st, if you get up, you go to work that day. You represent your Lord Jesus, okay? If you're, whatever it is you got to go do, you go and you be a living testimony. Whenever the people start saying, this is the end of the world, they say, no, it's not. It may happen the day before or the day after, I don't know. But I do know that it is not going to happen when some old, you know, ancient prophecy said it. Because the ancient of ancients, the king of kings, the Alpha and the Omega says, no man, no man, no man knows the time. It is of the father's choosing. It is of the bridegroom's choosing when he returns and gets his bride. Jesus is explaining to them to be ready for when I come. I'm going to come quickly. I did my announcement. I'll be announced. I'll come. The trumpet will be blown. I'll come as a thief in the night come and I'll grab him. You better be ready. At the time, the kingdom of heaven will be like the ten virgins who took their lamp and they went to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish and five of them were wise. The foolish ones took their lamps, but they did not take oil with them. The wise, however, took the jars along with them with their lamps. The bridegroom was a long time in coming and they all became drowsy and they fell asleep. At midnight, the cry came. The cry rang out. Here's the bridegroom. Come out and meet him. Let's set the scene, the background of that. This story made a whole lot of sense to the people at the time because the way things would happen is the bridegroom would come in, and if he were to come into a town or come into an area, and he would, uh, he would, he would purchase his, his future brides, and maybe one or maybe in this situation ten, and he would pay a dowry. A business transaction would happen with the father or the older son, if the father was, was, was deceased, of, for this bride. And he would, they would work out negotiations. It would be a lengthy process. It would be a legal binding deal. He would come out and he would say, okay, we're going to pay this much money for your daughter when I come back. Uh, and, or he would say, uh, uh, you know, my servants will work your field. See, it was, a, it was a business prospect. If you had a daughter, you, you were in good shape as a father because you could, with, if, if the right suitor came along, you know, it, proper dowry would be paid and it would be profitable for both sides as the bridegroom because he's got a beautiful young bride and as the father and he's got a monetary gain of some sort for this and he could choose however many he could afford basically in this situation it was ten for whatever reason Jesus is telling this story in this parable and it was ten so he goes forth and and afterwards after he made the arrangements the bridegroom leaves right he goes back to his home and does what prepares. He makes it ready for the bride. He makes the rooms, perhaps many rooms in the many mansions, and he gets it ready for when he comes back at a time of his choosing, and it was an exciting time when he would come back, because the, the brides at this time would spend their time, at, once the dowry had been paid and the agreement had been made, the handshake and the pinky swears and all these things were done, then the bride would then begin to change her role in life. She would begin to work on herself. She was to keep herself absolutely pure. She would begin to learn the wifely duties and whatever duties that, that that was, she would begin to perfect those and be good and be ready and be prepared, not with propane, 
but with a working knowledge of what the bride expects when he comes back so that she could present herself perfect for him. And she was ready and waiting. But see, the problem with many of us is we get excited about the engagement. And we forget about the commitment. Being engaged is exciting. Come on, girls, you know that fling? Right? Girl! You marrying Fred Flintstone? They got a rock on there? That's the big thing we're excited about. So that's the background. Then all the virgins woke up, and they trimmed their lamps. The foolish ones said to the wise, Oh, give us your oil. Our lamps are going to go out. No, they replied, There may not be enough for both of us. Instead, you go to the people who sell the oil and buy some for yourself. But while they were on their way to buy the oil, the bridegroom arrived, and the virgins who were ready went in with them to the wedding banquet, and the door was shut. Later, the others came and said, Sir, sir, they said, open the door for us. But he replied, I tell you the truth, I do not know, not, do not know you. Jesus again, he just speaking, says, Therefore, keep watch, because you do not know the hour or the day. You know, nothing meant nothing without the oil for the lamp. Scholars, ancient and modern scholars, believe that what this represents is the brides represent the church and the oil represents the Holy Spirit. And that's kind of a, just an understood fact. The brides represent the church and the oil is the Holy Spirit. And, and although the bridegroom saw the bride, wanted it, paid the price, even at, after paying the price and the deal was struck and the, his word would be kept, the bridegrooms were never allowed to fulfill their blessed promise that came to them, and that was to have a life with their new husband in this new life and this new land that was promised to them. You know, and we can, just like us today, we can have charm and charisma. We can have, you know, good looks and dumb luck. We can have all these things to get us right up to the door of eternity. But unless you've got the Holy Spirit, all that good success. And by the way, it's not hard to be successful. It really isn't. All those people that got right up to that door of success, unless they had the lamp, the oil, oil for the lamp, it was shut. What a horrible place to be, is to be so concerned about the attention of the engagement that we forget about the intention of the engagement. You see, we like the attention of being in church. We forget about the intention of the church. You see, we like how things, how we have the title, how we have the facility. We like the name, oh, girl, let me see the ring. We like all those moments in time and all that good, good, friendly stuff and thumbing through the magazines and making a home and all these fun things. And we forget the intention of the church is never to be about us. It's never to bring glory to us. It's never to bring us comfort and satisfaction. The intention of the church is to do the will of God. It's to do the work of God and to glorify God. So the first thing we've got to realize is that if we want to go past that door to eternity, we've got to receive the Holy Spirit. That's first and foundation. That's fundamental before we go any further. Have you received the Holy Spirit? The question doesn't need to be, hey, do you want to go to heaven when you die? 
Who would say no to that? You know? You want to go to heaven or hell? Mm, come on, it doesn't take a mental giant to figure that out. The question is, are you going to give your life to Jesus? Are you willing to die for yourself? Are you willing to die because of Jesus? Are you willing, what's going on in Egypt? Doesn't make the news, check it out online. The Christians are being what? Crucified. 2012, people. You want to follow Christ? 2012? Oh, we like our engagement process here in the church, don't we? I don't receive any persecution. Actually, where I work, I'm expected to pray where I work. I mean, come on. I get no persecution at all where I work. You know? There's not like that for the rest of the world. They give it all. When they decide to follow Christ, it's not just a business transaction. It's not just something better else to do. It is a way of life that they are dying to their old self. Die to your old self. So how do we do that? What do we do next? If we want to be concerned about the intention of the engagement, what's next? Let's keep reading. I'm glad you asked. Again, it'll be like a man, verse 14, going on a journey. Remember, this is Jesus telling these parables. Going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted his property to them. One, he gave five talents of money. To another, he gave two talents. And to the other, he gave one talent, each according to his ability. And then he went on his journey. Well, what is a talent? You may or may not know. The talent they're speaking of is not just money. It's something that had weight to it. It's whatever the weight of it was. You know, like you buy gold by the ounce. You buy silver by the ounce. You know, these kind of things. It was a talent, had a certain amount of weight to it. So anyway, so he gave them something, each according to their ability. And the man who had received five talents went out at once and put his money to work, and he gained five more. So also... The man with the two talents gained two more. But the man who had received one talent went off, dug a hole in the ground, and hid his master's money. A long time after the master of those servants returned to settle the accounts with them, the man who had received five talents brought the other five. Master, he said, you entrusted me with five talents. See, I have given you five more. The master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. And the man with two talents also came. Master, he said, you entrusted me with two talents. See, I have gained two more. And the master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. And the man who had received one talent came. Master, he said, I know that you are a hard man. You harvest where you have not sown, and you gather where you have not scattered seed. So I was afraid, and I went out, and I hid your talent in the ground. Here is what belongs to you. His master replied, You wicked, lazy servant. So you knew that I harvest where I have not sown, and I gather where I have not scattered seed. Well then, you should have put my money on interest and deposit for the bankers so that I would return. I would have at least received it with interest. Then the talent from him who had been given the one was given to the one who had ten talents. For everyone who has will be given more, and he will have an abundance. But whoever has not, even what he has will be taken from him. 
and throw the worthless servant outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. If it belongs to the master, it's going to multiply. Point number two is you've been entrusted with a gift. If you hear the gospel and you receive the gospel and I accept the Holy Spirit, I take the Holy Spirit, I allow it to be in my life, I give my life to Jesus. I just don't agree that I'd rather not go to hell today, but I decide that I will allow Jesus to be Lord of my life, the governor of my life, the one who makes the direction and the decisions of my life. With that, there is a multiplication expectation on my life. From that point on, it doesn't do any good for me to take that Holy Spirit and go into my holy bunker of a church. You know, I don't need to bug out to the local church and hide in it with my little goodies and everything, and just stay nice and secure and forget about the rest of the world going to hell outside around me. There is a multiplication process that is expected and required of me, whatever our level is. Well, I can't do much. Yes, you can. Well, you see, I work too much. Praise the Lord. You've got a lot of money to give. I don't have a job. Praise the Lord. Then you've got a lot of time to give. But I'm in debt. Praise the Lord. You've got a testimony because God will multiply. There is no excuse for not doing the work of the ministry. God requires it. It is a reasonable expectation of us to take a gift and say, this is wonderful, and go hide it in the ground. It's shameful. Whatever our gift, whatever our talent is, or talent. The term hunker down really has no place in the life of a Christian. Not to a prepper it does, Right? Oh, it's coming. So we go hunker down. We go escape to our secret location or locations just in case one's not, you know, safe and you got your plan B. Every good prepper's got a plan B, just so you know. That's right. I love, I was, I was traveling uh, with Ralph and we were down in Haiti, and when it starts getting dark in Haiti, it gets dark like it gets dark. I mean, so we turn around and all of a sudden it's pitch black and we're just in this little bitty, you know, tin roof thing and, and uh, Ralph's like, oh, man, it got dark on us. About that time, click, I flick on the light. And I've got paracord holding up this little flashlight, lights up the whole room. Ralph said, man, I love traveling with preppers. <laughs> I was prepared, brother. <laughs> you know, it's fun to think about and to, and to prep and to get ready, you know, for an, an event. That may or may not happen. But I promise you, you can only eat so much fully cooked premium ham. <laughs> At some point, it's going to run out, and you better hope that you've done some planting and harvesting to sustain the work. You see, the churches today are filled with empty seats and closing and dying churches. The biggest question in many churches today around the United States is what? What do we do with this property when it closes? Because they've forgotten the planting and the harvesting principle. They have gotten busy with prepping within themselves and making sure their bunker is nice and, nice and safe. And they forgot that the work is not inside preparing the bunker. The work is outside planting for the seeds and for the harvest to bring glory to the master. You see, Jesus Christ requires that you go and you plant and you go and you do the work of the field. He says it in the scriptures. He says the, the, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are what? Few. They're not out doing the work. Where are they? Go out and do the work of the ministry. 
If you ain't planting, you ain't really prepping. <laughs> you know? If you ain't planting, you really ain't a prepper. You can't eat all those bullets. Amen? You got to have some seeds. You got to have the Word of God. You got to be willing to scatter it. Willing to sow it. I got a friend of mine who, I'm telling myself now, has a prepper blog. And he said, according to his research, that's not me or Ralph, don't worry. According to his research, the successful people in the event of a total meltdown in society will be those that have learned to work together not those that have learned to hide and squirrel away. Those that have learned to commune together. I didn't respond because I don't want the man to know that I follow that. But I said to him, the ones that will survive, brother, the ones that rally around the word of God, whether or not the zombie apocalypse happens, it's not, but if it does, it's those that have scattered the seed of God, those that have worked for the ministry. So what is the work of the ministry? What is it? I'm glad you asked. I'll keep reading. Verse 31, Jesus continuing through, he says, When the Son of Man comes in his glory, and all the angels will sit with him on the throne in the heavenly glory, and all the nations will be gathered before him. He will separate the people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. The sheep from the goats. And he will put the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you are blessed by my father. Take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. I needed clothes, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you looked after me. I was in prison, and you came to visit me. Guys, this particular set of scriptures doesn't need any teaching points. The word stands on its own with this one. Then he says, and you came to visit me. Then the righteous will answer, Lord, when did we see you hungry? We were too busy in our bunkers. We missed it. When did we feed you? Because we had plenty of canned beans, right? Or thirsty. When did we give you something to drink? When did we see a stranger, you a stranger and invite you or you needing clothes and we clothe you? When did we see the sick, uh, see you sick or in prison and go to visit you? And the king will reply, I tell you the truth. Whatever you did for the least of these brothers of mine, you did for me. Then they will say to those on his left, depart from me. You are who cursed into the eternal fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, and you gave me nothing to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger, and you did not invite me in. I needed clothes, and you did not clothe me. I was sick and in prison, and you did not look after me. Then they will answer, Lord, when did we see you hungry and thirsty, or a stranger, or needing clothes, or sick or in prison, and not help you and he will reply I tell you the truth whatever you did not do for one of the least of me you did not do for me they will go away to eternal punishment but the righteous for eternal life 
they asked Mother Teresa, how much does she pray? And she thought about it for a minute. She said, how much do I pray? And you know Mother Teresa, right? Mother Teresa said, if praying is spending time with God, then I wake up at 4 o'clock in the morning, and I begin to work with the poor and the dying and the needy. And according to the Bible, that's spending time with God, working with the poor and the dying and the needy. So I guess you could say I pray all day. What an answer. The reporter went away. That actually never made the news. It's our responsibility to do the work of the ministry. It's our responsibility to understand that a gift has been given, and it's our responsibility to multiply that gift. We can spend all of our time hoarding water, zombie ammunition. My kids bought that for me, just so you know. They get it, too. We can spend all of our time preparing for something that we have absolutely no control over. Storms don't behave the way we predict them, right? Or we can spend our time preparing for the Word of God. I can tell you this much. I had lunch with Brad just the other day, and I just had a confession. With confession. I said, God has given me so much, Brad. As, as, just as a human, he's given me so much. And I'm afraid I'm like one of these uh, five foolish brides that I can have it all except for what matters the most, that I can have even the Holy Spirit in my life but not use it to multiply, that I can have the gift of the Holy Spirit, use it to multiply God, and not be out doing the work of the ministry. I said, brother, I can do more for God. I can do more. And Brad shared to me, he said, I've been thinking the same thing. And we sat right there at Copeland's, brother, and we sat right there, and we prayed with each other, and we prayed that we would do more for the kingdom of heaven. We prayed that we would do more for God's people and that we would do whatever it takes to spread the word. I got home. I went home 30 minutes. I called Brad, and he's trying to call me, and our phone calls crossed. I said, man, I just want you to know I'm going to devote my life to spending time in the word of God. He said, me too. And we began to just renew our commitment to be better ministers of the gospel. And to be better preppers for when the day comes. So that I can be found well done. My good and faithful servant. You have been trusted. And now I can trust you with more. Not, not, you took your gifts. And you buried them away. God help us. Lord, I know you were a hard master. I was afraid to do anything. Guys, if it belongs to God, it will multiply. That's just what he does. If you've given your life to God, it's your duty to get out there and let him multiply it. So that's my invitation question. Have you received the Holy Spirit? It's an empty question. I mean, it deserves an answer. Have you or haven't you? It's a fair question to ask because we don't know until the time comes, you know, as to who is and who hasn't. But if you know that you know, you want to be like the family on I-49 heading north, that this may be a chaotic, this may be a rough time, this may be a tumultuous time, it may not be pleasant, we may be hot, we may be 
perilous times, running, what are we gonna do? But at the end of the destination, I know where I'm going and I know that it's there. I know there are people there waiting for me that have gone on before me. Do you know that you know that you know that you know where your destination is? You need, you deserve to ask that question of yourself. It is a fair question. Every man, woman, and child will give an account. Do you know where you go? Do you? Only you can answer that. Not your pastor, not your meemaw, papa, or daddy. Do you know? If I were to die today and to close my eyes and breathe my last, I guarantee, I guarantee so much that if I were in a foreign country, or perhaps even this country one day, that if somebody wanted to mock me for my faith, and they say, you want to be a Christian? Then how about we crucify you like the God you serve? Do you know that you know that you would say, put the nails right here and right here in my hands? And by the way, before you do that, I forgive you because that is what my Jesus did for me. Are you there in your faith that you would do that? Do you know that you know? That's a tough question. These are tough times. Are we excited about the engagement and forgot about what the commitment is? It's a commitment. It's a decision to follow Christ. It's a decision to follow Christ. It's a decision to follow Christ. We give it. You can have it, God. This that I'm working on, you can have it. Our bank accounts, our careers, our jobs, our direction in life, God, you can have it. It's not mine. Because you're the multiplier. You'll multiply it. Are we willing to do the work of the ministry? See the sick, the needy, and the poor. Are we willing to get out and just do it? Get our hands dirty. Our children and youth will meet here on Wednesday night. Actually, we're going to meet in the park this Wednesday night. We want to come be a part of that. We want to come help feed them. We need that. We want to come be a part of that. You know, we've said, in case you don't know, we don't pay to have the church clean. We take the money we save from paying to have the church clean, and we have a church in Peru, a whole church, just like this because we come and clean the church on our own. Do you want to be a part of that? Come and scrub toilets in the name of the Lord so that people in Peru will be baptized in October when we go. I'll scrub that toilet. Right? I'll bring pizza and spaghetti and brownies on Wednesday night so that that money is not spent and can be spent in Haiti. Supporting the work of a pastor who gets up every day, walks down a stinking mountain to get water, and come up and bring it to his family so they can have food and water to drink, brush your teeth. Will you be a part of that? Or will we choose to hunker down in our bug out shelter? Call it a church. One day have to answer the question what do we do with this property when we close the doors? Father, I pray that your word stood on its own today. Father, if there's somebody today that was willing to come forward and make that decision to follow you completely and to give their life to you, let them come forth and say it and speak it, Father. Let it be said. If there's somebody that has never accepted you as their personal Savior, Father, please let today be the day that their name is written down in the Lamb's Book of Life and all of heaven will rejoice 
Father, if there's someone here today that has never made the decision to follow through in believer's baptism, let them come down. Father, somebody needs to feel like they want to make it public that they're a part of this ministry, willing to serve and just get in, whether it's five talents or one talent. They agree to trust you with it. Father, we ask that you would speak to our hearts in this moment. Amen.
Amen. It's been good to be here today in the house of the Lord, huh? I'm thankful that I don't come serve in a bunker. Honestly, I'm thankful that I serve in God's living bride. He's going to come back for us one day. And we need to be prepared. It's nothing we need to be scared about. It's something we should be looking forward to. You know, there's a country song out that says, I want, everyone wants to go to heaven, but no one wants to go right now. That's a jingy, you know, catchy song, but it's really bad theology. You know, if, you, if the Lord comes, we should be excited about that. There's a whole other world that's better than this one. House churches will begin to get kicked off this week. Um, if you are leading a house church, if you could see me right after church, I have some material to give you. Um, it's come in, some DVDs and study books, and let you start getting used to looking at that. Um, this Wednesday, uh, please be in prayer for us as we will be with the children and at Enterprise Park and the uh, young adult, the teenagers as well. We'll be doing that for several weeks, and we'll move that ministry here uh, into Family of Grace every Wednesday night and grow that as well uh, so thank you guys for being a part of that uh, just continue to be in prayer for that and be in prayer that those that have not accepted Jesus will have that opportunity uh, through the storm somehow or another they can say and I've heard this wonderful testimony through the chaplainry is you know I lost everything because of this storm this disaster this situation whatever you fill in the blank I've lost everything but I wouldn't change it in a minute because through that I found Christ. And that seems to be a resounding statement that is said around the world from one disaster to the other that as horrible as it is, and I can't even imagine, so I don't want to pretend that, that it's not that big of a deal. I know it's a bad thing. But if you come to know Christ through it, if you come to know Christ through it, there's no greater gift than come to know Jesus Christ. So let's be in prayer over those people. Those chaplains that are working that right now, let's be in prayer over them. The disaster relief people and those people who are working tirelessly uh, in those situations. Let's be in prayer over that as well. Father, we just thank you for this day. and We thank you for bringing us here together. Lord, we love you and we trust you, Lord Jesus. We trust you, Jesus. Thank you for being faithful. Amen.